The deeper Christian life is no deeper than that of the clear teaching of God's Word. It is not a mystery withheld from anyone, but made known to all who will listen and obey. Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. May Christ lead you deeper into Himself today as together we explore God's Word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Hebrews 12.14 says, Without holiness no one will see the Lord. The life of holiness is a life lived in surrender to the will of God for the purpose of knowing God's moral majesty and reflecting that moral majesty before others. The born-again man or woman has that kind of life. If you profess to be a Christian and yet you lack holiness, you should be concerned. You should be very concerned. It's a grace that brings into us not one gift of salvation, but many gifts from our salvation. And central to all those gifts is the gift of the holiness of God, producing in us holy desires and holy delights and holy deeds. The true believer will have this fundamental characteristic of holiness. They will love God's will. They will love God. They will hate their own sin. So let me ask you a question. And we'll ask it again at the end of the message. Do you have such holiness? Do you love God's will? Do you hate all within you that resists and argues against His will? The Puritan John Owen said this, I do not understand how a man can be a true believer unto whom sin is not the greatest burden and sorrow and trouble. And what he was saying is that it was just another way of saying without holiness you will not see God. Personal holiness can't save you. Personal holiness cannot pay the debt of your sin that God demands. Personal holiness can't take away your sins or cleanse you of those sins. Personal holiness will not scribe your name down in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus did all of that. He paid the debt for your sins, dying in your place. He took away your sins, and He's the one who makes us clean. He's the one who writes your name as you trust and believe in Him in the Lamb's book of life. But listen, the person who is saved, the person who has been born again, who has had their sins taken away and has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and whose name has thus been written in the Lamb's book of life, will live a life on a growing trajectory of holiness. And without it, and without that testimony, and without that word over your life, you can be sure of one thing. You will not, that's what the author of Hebrews is saying here, you will not see God. There are a number of times in which it seems that the interpretation of the grace of God and the salvation of God and the idea that we're saved by faith alone is to twist it, be twisted towards some idea that once having received him, my life can channel into any direction I choose and I can do whatever I want and I have God's grace and God's forgiveness. I've met individuals who've referred to the fact that their children prayed as three years old and then the children went on and lived their life in absolute decadence, rejecting God in every way, but the parent wants to tell you, but when they were three, they prayed a prayer and You know what the Bible says over and over again? It says two things. It says, don't let anyone deceive you. Don't let anyone deceive you. Don't let anyone deceive you. And the deception is, don't let them deceive you into thinking that you can live a certain 
lifestyle that is devoted to your own path and your own pursuits and your own sin and not towards pleasing and honoring God and you'll still get through. Actually, it doesn't just say don't let anyone deceive you. Repeatedly, you, you put it in there. Type in or go to the, your concordance and it'll say this too. Don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive, it says, your own heart. Don't try to obscure the reality of your life by saying, hey, it really doesn't matter what I do and what I've done. I'm okay. Because I believe these things and I've committed these things and I've, I've gone like the rich young ruler and I've bowed before the Lord Jesus and I've said, Lord, Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? Don't deceive your own heart. Without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. I want to, right now, answer a question. Why is it that holiness is so important? I want to take an answer to these questions, some observations that were made by the author J.C. Ryle back in the late 1800s in his book on holiness. And this comes from his third chapter. If you want to go, you'll see that I'm fairly faithful to the outline, although I leave a lot of it out because it's a lot more complete than what I want to say to you this morning. And I'll add some of my own thoughts, but they're primarily his thoughts. Why is holiness important? And the first thing that he tells us is it is important because God commands it. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 This is the will of God, even your sanctification. That basically means even your growth into holiness. 1 Peter 1.15 and 16 But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. It says in all manner of conversation. A great translation says this, Be holy in every department of your life. Your life is dialed into different regions. You have different roles that you play. There are different moments in your day. And in every area, in every role, in every moment, in every part of your day, to be pursuing holiness, expressing through your life the moral majesty of the God who saved you and redeemed you. There's a second reason why holiness is important. Holiness is the purpose for which you are saved. Not only has God commanded it, it's the purpose to which you are saved. 2 Corinthians 5.15 Jesus Christ died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Jesus died to take me to heaven, right? No. No, not primarily. Jesus died that you might live not to yourself. Jesus died that you might live for him who died and rose again. For this outcome, you have to stop living for yourself then. You have to begin living for him. There are a lot of individuals who want to bank their hope of heaven and the fact that they have an election, that they've been predestinated, that they've been chosen, that they've been called. You go and find where those passages, where the Scripture speaks of our predestination or where the Scripture speaks of our election or the Scripture speaks that the believer in Jesus Christ has been chosen or the believer has been called. And what you'll find is in almost every reference, it is within the context of living a holy life. You say, well, I've been elect. I've been elected by God, and that's my surety, and that's my confidence. God has elected me. But the Bible says that we've been elected through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That is, we've been elected by the Holy Spirit to sanctify us or grow us in holiness. 
You say, well, I've been predestinated by God for salvation. But the Bible says that we have been predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son. Christ-likeness is holiness, folks. You say, well, I've been chosen by God for salvation. But God's Word says to us in Ephesians 1.4 that God has chosen us in Christ before the foundations of the world that we should be holy. You say, well, God has called me to salvation. I just answered the call. It was a call to salvation. I've received it, and now I'm good, and I'm fine. But again, the Bible says that we've been called in order to be saints. The word there is we've been called to be holy ones. Again, it says that we've been called with a holy calling, and the reason that it's a holy calling is because it's a call into holiness. This is God's purpose for you. And you should not resist or frustrate the purpose that God had in saving you. And by the way, if you can successfully shirk the calling and the electing and the predestinating and the choosing of God to bring you into holiness, if you can shirk those things and live your life denying those things yet claim to salvation, you are mistaken. You failed to understand what God was doing and what God was purposing in, what God has accomplished in those that He has saved. He's brought into us His holy life, and He's brought into us that holy life in order that out of our lives He might express that holiness to those around. Here's a third point. Holiness is important, for through it we prove our love for the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And again He said, you are my friends if you do whatever, whatever I command you. And when Jesus commanded us to go out and make disciples, the command was to go and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. If you love Jesus, then you count precious the blood that he shed to save you from your sins and to bring to you his forgiveness and to bring you into an unending relationship with him. You love him. And if you love him, you hate those sins for which he suffered and he bled, and he died. And if you love him, you will not set your finger in his blood and calculate from it what new form of disobedience you may be free to pursue because he died for you. You won't do it. Instead, you'll come to that blood, and you'll weep over it in the midst of your temptations, and you'll weep over it in the midst of your sins, and you'll say, Lord Jesus, let nothing unholy remain Apply your own blood and extract every stain. To get this blessed cleansing, I all things forego. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I want to please you, and I want to honor you, and I want to glorify you. And oh, blood of Jesus Christ, shed for me. Keep me clean. And drive away all these suggestions and all these calculations of perverting what you've done for me for my own sake and my own pleasure and my own gain and not for yours and not for your own holiness. Fourth, why is holiness important? Because holiness is the one sure evidence that you are the child of God. It is the outworking of the new life that God has given you when you were born again. If you've been born again, you will bear the traits of the one who brought you into new life. 
You will have marked upon the genetic code of this new life, the traits of the Heavenly Father, and you'll begin to grow in those traits. Every one of us bears the trait of our earthly forebearers. And at times we're reminded of it. In fact, everyone has heard a statement like this. You're just like your father. You're just like your mother. You're just like your grandfather, your grandmother, your aunt, your uncle. And sometimes the tone is nice and sometimes the tone is not very nice. Sometimes it's you're just like your father. You're just like your father. More often it's you're just like your father. My wife and I had different discussions about who our children take after when they weren't behaving well and my explanation to her was that they just had too much Miller blood running through their veins. Her maiden name was Miller. Her rebuttal was to demonstrate that we Van Hoogens had an equal propensity to willfulness and sin in our own family. <laughs> to which I would say, well, if you go far enough back, I'm sure there's a Miller in my family tree too. <laughs> she says, not a Miller, but an Adam. Yeah? We take on the traits of our parents. Our children can make us proud because they take on traits, but just hang on. They'll humble you. They'll show you other traits that you gave them that are not quite so honoring. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you've been born again of the Spirit of God. God has come and brought His life into you. You're as His, and you're His child, you're His son, you're His daughter, and if that's happened, you will see the trait of His holiness come shining through. Thanks for joining us today at The Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry in the community of Boise, Idaho, or our outreach work around the world, just go to breadoflifeboise.org. There you'll find links to the radio archives, including this message, and also links to full-length sermons. Until the next time, may God bless you.